Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 80 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. Today's show is the last in season three, and as is becoming something of a tradition, we're holding a round table. Before we start, I wanted to thank everyone who's come along for the ride so far. We're at 80 episodes, which isn't bad for something I wanted to do after getting my first electric car two years ago. If you're an EV Musings patron, there's a special bonus episode coming in a week or so, just for you and nobody else. Today, we're holding roundtable number three. Links to the previous two roundtables are in the show notes. If you listen to those episodes, you'll know that we have a number of specially invited guests who come on and lead the discussion on various topics of interest in the EV or renewable space. So let me start by introducing the members of the EV Musings Roundtable. Firstly, we have Jordan Brompton. Co-founder and Chief Marketing Officer of My Energy, she's one of the driving forces behind the growth of home charging in the UK. You may have seen her on the Fully Charged show a couple of years ago, demonstrating her company's flagship product, The Zappy, to Robert Llewellyn on a rather windy Orkney, back when she was Jordan Gardner. Hello, Jordan. Hello, thank you for having me. Secondly, we have a returning guest from last season's Roundtable episode. Managing Director of Fully Charge and the man who sometimes has the unenviable job of saying no to Robert Llewellyn, as well as helping to put out all the great content on that channel. Welcome back, Dan Caesar. Hi, Gary. Good to be here. As with last season's roundtable, the format is quite simple. Each guest will lead a discussion on a specific EV or renewable topic. We all get to throw our two pence with into the mix. And when we're happy with Solve the World's Problems, we'll move on. Today, we're discussing the following items. Prepping for the 2030 fossil fuel sale ban and the impact of EV home charging. EVs have hit a tipping point. Now let's harness that energy for adjacent sustainable technologies. And finally, where do we think charging pricing is heading? I'd like to start by inviting Jordan to open the discussion on her subject. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, I'm pretty keen to talk about this, um, the prepping of the 2030 ban on diesel and petrol cars, new cars, that is. And what we've got to do to get there. Um, obviously, my background, well, not obviously, because not everyone knows who I am, but my background is charging and renewable energy. So I've got quite a few things to say about it. But I thought it would be nice to open the uh, hypothetical floor and speak to you, Gary, and Dan, and see what you've got to think about it. But I want to start with infrastructure because obviously that's the most common topic. You know, people say there's no infrastructure for electric cars. And, you know, in the next 10 years, we've got to have a hell of a lot more put in, infrastructure put in. Um, does it go far enough already? Um, what cool tech are you seeing come out? I wanted to ask the question of do you think our government should be doing more and who can we take um, examples from? You know, Norway is, is doing so much for the adoption of electric vehicles. And um, yeah, I don't know. I thought, I thought we could open it up. But I, I would definitely like to see a lot more renewable, domestic renewable energy. And I would like to see the government back in that and actual local authorities as well. But I've got a few more ideas. Dan? Well, I love this subject. I think it is infinitely fascinating. I think in the UK, charging infrastructure has sort of taken on a life of its own. And there's plenty of countries we can point to where infrastructure is not really an issue. And there are others we can point to where it's a bit of a patchwork quilt. And I think the UK is is a little bit of the latter. But I think there's quite a lot of noise about this subject that's probably a bit disproportionate. I've actually never had any real issues uh, in terms of charging around the UK. Um, and I've been driving electric for, for six years. Um, and not all of those in Tesla. So I've had a, an i3 and I've had a, a Kona. And I actually found the experience pretty pretty straightforward but then again maybe I was kind of more open-minded to having a few problems because I was an early adopter and I was really keen and prepared to overlook a few of its shortcomings so absolutely the UK system is not not perfect but there are a few things going on really you know from our perspective at Fully Charged we think about it from a consumer perspective and when we did a series um, a year or so ago with uh, Maddie Moat uh, called Maddie Goes Electric she made a great point really you don't really worry about you have an iPhone, you don't really worry about how a Samsung charges or how it operates. You only worry about how your own phone operates and charges. So if you buy a, a Polestar or if you buy a VW, or if you buy a um, Hyundai, whatever whatever you buy, really that's what you're, you're focused on. 
but the other end of the telescope is all us industry types right down in the weeds of what does work and what and what doesn't work and of course that's right because we have to look and prod every single uh, angle of, of how the infrastructure works but consumers looking for often some different things and the other thing i would say because i talk at infinite on the subject is a lot of people typically think all oh, this is going to happen at once and don't really think it through we hear that from people all the time you know what happens if you charge all these cars simultaneously will the grid break down and obviously national grid have said many many times that won't be the case but in what world are we all going to suddenly be driving electric vehicles it's not going to happen quite like that i think it will happen quicker than most commentators think but it's not going to happen instantaneously and i think often particularly journalists outside of the uh, this area tend to make the mistake they think well what's going to happen if this happens instantaneously and frankly if everyone wanted to drive a pure electric vehicle right now we all know the car companies couldn't even begin to touch the size of that demand so infrastructure is very very important but i i think that sometimes we navel gaze a bit about it in the uk uh definite improvements to be made but actually there's quite a lot of charging in the uk and a lot of it works works pretty well uh, yeah i'd like to to back that up because there's actually you know what most people that haven't even thought about switching to electric vehicles yet think is that there's no public infrastructure but there's far more um public charge points than there are actual fuel stations and i think the common misconception is that people need to charge when they're out and about all the time when most of the charging if you are looking you know if you do have a driveway and you do can have a charger at home most charging is done at home and um at work and there's so many smart ways now that you know chargers can work simultaneously with the grid to support the grid when there's pressure or you know when there's plenty of wind generation and it needs using up there's prompts now to start charging um that it's a common misconception that you know people say the grid's going to collapse it's just not as as dan says it's also i think the government could do we've seen how well the government have educated people on the coronavirus right so if they really wanted to educate people on the importance of switching to electric and um you know how we can't just keep pumping dirty fossil fuel fumes into the atmosphere and what it does to us they could do a nationwide campaign and i think that is something i'd love to see a little bit more education from from this from the government actually where are we on the topic of the government actually driving things on that because what you've just said there jordan about education i think that's that's fantastic and also you know we've got the was it the oles um the office of low emission no ozev ozev that's one thank you the opposite of the office of zero emission vehicles which is doing some good work but you know i also know that with a number of the local councils who were obviously being driven by you know some of the government mandates that the things they're trying to put in place from a from a charging point of view, you know, there's not a lot of joined up thinking there. So from my point of view, the two ways of approaching this are we get the government to do the work for us, which will give us one result, or we get the government to provide the money and we get private industry to do the work and that will provide a different result. I'm not entirely sure which one's the best one though. What do you reckon? That's a really difficult question and and I, I can't, I'm going to have to fudge it slightly, but the, the reality is that I tend to find when government intervenes in this stuff, they get it wrong. Uh, I could yeah. quote you the Green Deal, the Renewable Heat Incentive, uh, Feed-in Tariff, the latest Green Home Grant. Uh, I could go on where they tend to create a pot of money, um, sit down for a while, work out how the levers that they're pulling might make a difference. And they they don't. And quite often, I think it is best left to private enterprise uh to to deliver upon these things um but there's a big elephant in the room with that particular um, answer in terms of infrastructure and you've got local authorities and borough councils uh, and things like that which are typically and you know if you if you work for a borough council and you're listening right now and you're hugely progressive i apologize but typically those organizations are are pretty old-fashioned and there was an instance just this week that someone mentioned to me on Twitter where it was a an enterprising young man had got himself a 
uh, a new uh, taxi, electric taxi, uh, down in uh, Eastbourne. Um, and he uh, was very excited about this, but he spoke to the borough council and said, well, can you help me, you know, in terms of maybe installing some some charging facilities? Um, and the response was pretty much, um, well, we can't really do that because we were worried that it might catch on. She's just <laughs> absolutely uh, crazy, isn't it? And and I've had that similar stuff with other councils before. There was one in Gloucestershire that I, I was kind of corresponding with. And their environmental manager, because you, you look these people up on, on LinkedIn, had just inherited that job over time. Uh, and he was a not particularly forward-thinking individual who uh, had got that role. And therefore, electric car charging was part of his his remit, part of his brief, and he just didn't understand it. In fact, he didn't even support it. So I think that getting private enterprise involved is great, but I think uh, on a local level, can, you know, working with a, a Sainsbury's or a Tesco's and having local charging that way, supplant having it in, I don't know, the local, you know, local car park. And I think maybe it can, but it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. I don't know what Jordan thinks. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite lucky where I am because I've got quite a forward thinking council. So who are looking at ways to um, I think it's because my energy is based there and we've sort of opened their eyes a little bit to the, you know, the crazy industry that we're in and the growth of it and the sort of proud and wanting to be a hub of that, that they're now starting to look at putting more infrastructure in um, public charge points for people that don't have driveways and things. But I, I agree. And I've seen like, and I don't want to say anything too negative because I, I do think the OLEV grant is good. OZEV recently changed to OZEV grant. But when you look at it over the last few years, you know, again, it was something that wasn't really thought out at the very beginning. It was set up with all best intentions, but then very quickly, as soon as a pot of money becomes available, that is when people sort of, you know, potentially abuse it. And, um, you know, charges were going on people's walls, standard charges, um, which is just a socket on a wall for a thousand pound a piece. We all know, especially me as a manufacturer, know that it, it doesn't cost that to make these things. And, um, you know, they were putting them on homes without explaining to people what they are or, and now those ones aren't are deemed not good enough because everybody, you know, you have to go smart now because, you know, we've quickly realized that you'll need a smart charger to be able to help bal load balance the home and not put too much pressure on the, the home's main views and not put pressure on the grid um, or to help alleviate it at least. So there's definitely lessons that needed that are needed to be learned within. Um, but I do think the importance ahead of the 2030 ban of why we're switching to electric could be done through a national government campaign and a, an educational piece. But they'd need to speak to the private sector on how to do that, maybe. Not the right people involved. I think the problem I have with this private sector aspect of this, um, and we've had um, Ian Johnston from uh, Osprey and Tom Callow from BP Pulse on the podcast to talk about this. You know, whenever a new charger goes in and somebody tweets about it and you read the replies, it's always, when are you going to put one in in mid Wales? When are you going to put one in in the northeast? You know, there are these charging wastelands. And the short answer as to why the private sector is not doing that is because it's not financially viable to spend, you know, 50, 100,000 pounds putting in a high powered charger that might get used once every couple of days. So, mm. you know, if you put that in the hands of the private sector, they're obviously going to put lots and lots of charges in, but they're going to put them in in the places where they are going to be able to make the money rather than where the EV users are going to have uh, the best experience of actually using them. And I'm not entirely sure how we can get around that issue. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good point. Sorry, Jordan. I mean, I think that um, it's the same for things like uh, renewable heat incentive and, and, and things like, like that, right? You know, you've got a certain uh, group of people who, who are, you know, you know, fuel poor, and there's a different campaign for, for those people than people who might take up the renewable heat incentive, which has uh, largely been kind of people from sort of upper middle classes who've got kind of disposable income. I think in, in the case of resource poorness whether it's broadband or it's ev charging whatever if, if there are areas that are cut off people that are cut off economically geographically then those people should be supported by central government completely we're actually in a bit of a, a black charging hole in lincolnshire <laughs> so we're based in binbrook and um, the only charges that i've got are at work and at home there's a like say i'm working with the local authorities now to put a few more in but the nearest one for me is like an hour away which is leeds if i wanted a rapid um charger or 
you know, Sheffield, but luckily I'm, <laughs> I'm in a Tesla now also, Dan. Um, so it's less of an issue, but when we were driving, um, the leaf around, it was, it was pretty hard work at the beginning of the startup and, and then you'd get to the, the charger and it, it might not work. And then you really are screwed, <laughs> but we are seeing, we're seeing a lot more, a lot more going. I definitely think, uh, ahead of the 2030 van that plug in the rural gaps is for sure, um, a huge priority. Well, I was just going to say, I think I think one of the big issues that we've got in in the UK is that quite often the average age of the the politicians uh, and people in this uh, this level are, are in their sort of fifties, sixties, and seventies. Now, I love people in their fifties, sixties, and seventies. Robert is one of my favourite people in the entire world. That's Robert Llewellyn, <laughs> by the way. But what I would say is that as most people in that age are not absolutely on it technologically in the way that that someone like Robert is, for example. So. At the moment, you've got a situation where technology is accelerating at a rate of knots like it's never done before. And then when it comes to decision making on this sort of thing, the people who are you know, tasked with kind of uh, creating policy, you know, um, having that kind of um, rolled out across the country are, are really not up to, 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 to date on, on what's going on. I mean, that, I think there's a strong argument now that, you know, residential charging uh, for areas that don't have uh, driveways, uh, I think we might end up with more um, infrastructure than we need in those places in the fullness yeah. of time. Because I think the cars are actually getting longer and longer range. And actually, I think uh, what people will do will more closely mirror what they do now, which is, you know, fuel up, charge up once or twice a week at a local uh, filling station. But if you're not really at the front edge of the market and you don't know, for example, that wireless charging is a thing and it, and it's coming, you know, how can you really... Uh, make robust decision making. I think smart meters is an interesting angle. Um, I think Jordan and I have spoken about that in, in in recent times. When they brought in the idea of smart metering, it's a, it's a great idea. But what happened in between us announcing we were going to roll out smart meters in the UK and reality is that smartphones came out. And now you can get apps that can totally eclipse what a smart meter can do uh, on your phone. So this is the danger, I think, in any of this kind of area is that if the if the policymakers aren't aren't absolutely up to date, um, that that is that is very very um, difficult situation. It's a bit like watching the Senate hearings, isn't it? When the old Republican senators try and tear a strip off Facebook, but they don't understand they don't understand what they're talking about, and that's it's really it's cringeworthy to watch it, isn't it? I think that's the that's the danger in the UK. I think we should just put the kids in charge, to be honest. Yeah, I completely agree. The TikTokers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not them. <laughs> yeah, tech is moving so bloody fast, and and it would be such a hard job to do. And you know, when you're listening to talks with Elon about AI and things like that, you're just thinking, we have actually got no hope because who is going to write that regulation or who is going to write the policies? Um, I just find it such a, a fascinating topic. But I think we also need to look at EV ownership slightly different as well because. I don't think that we're going to have tradition, like we're not going to own cars like we did traditionally in the past um, because software is improving so much and there's so many cool innovative startups popping up. You're essentially going to be able to, um, you know, summon a car to come to you or be able to lease a car for short periods of time or, you know, rent a car for the weekend, an electric car. It might not be something that you even need to put the infrastructure, you know, in for in your own home. Or if you own a flat or something, you might not need an electric car all the time. Um, so it, I think there's going to be so many new diver diverse ways of driving and uh, car ownership that I think it's just a really interesting space, you know, to watch develop so fastly. So it would be a hard job for the policymakers, and I do feel sure. from a bit. But, um, so Jordan, in your particular line of work with the primarily with the home charges, what are the challenges you and your organisation see in prepping for twenty thirty for your specific uh, niche, your your specific market area? Honestly, it's it's managing growth because. I mean, we set up four years ago um, and we were manufacturing renewable energy tech and we just thought about bringing out this, this charger. And, you know, we did it with literally six of us with no real capital, no real, no infrastructure, no manufacturing equipment. We just had an idea um, that the technology that we used in this particular power diverter might work well in an electric car charger. So we set about developing it and, um, 
as soon as we had the prototype sort of on the bench and working, I started reaching out to early adopters of EVs and, you know, people that own solar panels and uh, wind turbines, you know, people I had within my network already. And um, so quickly we saw that this was, yeah, it's a niche, but it's something that we could see that was going to be quite popular. And we've never, ever since been able to catch up with orders. And no matter how we try and forecast the you know, the growth against the sale of EVs and against um, in the UK and, and Germany, because we sell into Germany as well, we, we just were nowhere near. <laughs> you know, so every time we ramp up, um, we have to ramp up again, which is obviously a lovely problem to have, but it's honestly growth. I think this, this thing is coming far faster than anybody anticipated. And even, you know, with the ban in, in 2030, there's that conscious shift that's happened and we're starting to switch into that mainstream market, you know, that the, the mainstream drivers of petrol and diesel are twigging onto the fact that they might want an electric car. Um, and we just can't we can't keep up. <laughs> we're trying, but that that is honestly the biggest, the biggest headache. Um and we we just want to, we've got so many ideas for new products. It's innovation. It's trying to innovate fast enough and get, you know, bring our bring our ideas to fruition. It is definitely an enviable position to be in, isn't it? It's nice. It's nice. I'm, uh, I'm sending myself blind with stress, but it's, it's nice. <laughs> it's a good, no, we are lucky. It's a, it's a booming industry. That's for sure. Is there anything else we want to discuss on this particular topic? I'm just looking at my notes. We mentioned plugging in the gaps, mentioned policy, um, briefly touched on, you know, the, there's quite a lot of cool countries doing it, like Norway is. Dan, do you know much about Norway? Just to throw uh, you Yeah, I mean, not enough probably to go. I could, very <laughs> I'm very tempted to just go, yep, yeah, I could do it. it I mean, it's, <laughs> it's very, very interesting um, what's going on there. I mean, I, I don't... We're, we're due to do an episode out there, so I would probably keep okay. my powder dry and, and do something on, on that, but just because I'm just trying to research it at the moment. But, I mean, so all I, all I know is probably what you guys know in terms of the percentage uptake, um, the fact that yeah. the, grid, the grid still exists, it's not melted. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's anywhere anywhere like, like Norway, we, we quite like taking those stories, whether it's Oslo or Dundee or Shenzhen, as we've done recently, and actually kind of showing the world, look, this, this is possible. Uh, this is possible it's happening and i think that i don't fear for the charging infrastructure in the uk i i, I wish it had been built in slightly sturdier foundations i think that's the trouble when you do scale really quickly uh, as you referred to with your business if you've not got the foundations right that can can be problematic but mm. I, I think that i think that the uk will get with the program and i think the thing that will save it is the reality actually that very very large bulk of what we do now is we charge at home and i think that's why people get scared about charging infrastructure because they assume they're going to be out and about all the time um and if you can charge at home you do and imagine the 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 percentage of you know fueling that would uh, not be required if everyone could fill up with unleaded at home it'd be huge so you take that away straight away so i don't I don't fear. I think there are some there's some there's some bumps along the way, but you know, Norway is is as soon as we can get out there as we charge and drill down and tell that story, we'd love to do so. Yeah, I look forward to it. And I think one more thing on the public charging infrastructure. I think as soon as the regulations change and the fact that everybody can use everybody's chargers will obviously be a game changer as well. Because at the moment it's quite confusing for somebody that's just switched to an electric vehicle that doesn't own a Tesla. Um to get to grips with all the all the different charge operators that there are charge point operators so yeah. i think as soon as the regs change and allow that to become a little bit more inclusive and easier to charge will be a big step in the right direction well that's right and there are two factors playing into that you've got companies like uh, octopus energy who are allowing you to charge um on various different networks and actually have the cost of that put onto your electricity bill at home and then there is um the plug and charge standard which uh we did an episode on this a couple of weeks ago and i've completely forgotten what the standard is it's something like 11505 which means that you will literally be able to come up plug your 
car into a charger or plug the charger into the car and it will do all the handshake automatically. You won't need a card. You won't need any payment method. It will be done in exactly the same way as the the Tesla supercharger network. All through uh, operates. the big number, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, once, when they, once... Sorry, when the regulation changes for hopefully AC charging as well via the VIN number, that handshake becomes open for AC charging as well. I think that'll be a game changer. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Right. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's. Dan. Well, thanks for having me on, Gary. My contention is that we've we've done it. I don't like being complacent. I don't like celebrating and doing victory laps before uh, the victory is won. But I think that the shift to electric cars, electric vehicles is happening now. I think it's a it's a given. I think if I were to use an analogy, I think it's slow motion. You know, uh, it's a boxing match. And the little plucky electric underdog has punched the combustion engine uh, Goliath in the face. The punch has taken place and in slow motion now, uh, the Goliath is falling down. And I think that we're at a really interesting time and we can obviously continue to help happen make sure that uh, uh it kind of comes to its logical conclusion but i think the time now really is to work out how do we turn this shift to electric vehicles into a shift to clean energy as well that's also happening in parallel but what i've noticed is i've never been so engaged with energy as when i first got an electric car it totally changed my outlook and I'm pretty sure that it will do the same to a lot of other people because suddenly you could see how much energy you're using, what type of energy you're using, when are you using it? And I think there's a huge opportunity to harness that with consumers as they go in. They get their first electric vehicle, maybe give them half an hour to get used to it. But then we could say to them, look, now you've got this, there are other possibilities, whether it's time of use tariffs or maybe getting solar panels or maybe looking at how they heat their homes, you know, how they are more energy efficient in general, you know, do they have charges at work? I think we can really use this shift to light up the conversation uh, about electrification. And so for me, it's really now as a channel, we will always cover cars, of course we will, but it's about really kind of joining that up and saying, okay, you know, what, what energy tariff do you want, you know, um, and all those other, all those other questions. So, for me, it's, you know, what can we do to anticipate that and to, to, to be ahead of the curve? Because I think the car companies now, slightly begrudgingly maybe at first, but more and more so, you can see them advertising electric cars now. I mean, that really wasn't the case a year ago. They're mm. actually starting to advertise. So if they're on board with it now, maybe some of them slightly against their will, Toyota, um, <laughs> you know, you could imagine, you can imagine that that, that will take care of itself to a degree. And it's it's the other stuff that really, really concerns me. How can we add more wind, more solar, more energy storage, and all the other great technologies that we cover? How can we really get uh, consumers to take notice of it? Because I can tell you for a fact, I started working in the heating industry in 2003. And until that point, my relationship with my boiler was, uh, was non-existent. I didn't care about it, didn't think about it. It just sat there, you know, did what it did, uh, never, ever thought about it. Um, and now all I think about is, okay, how can we improve energy? What can we do? You know, the rest of it, that's my job, but how can we get other people to get excited about it? I'm convinced we can. Hi. What I actually like about that is that silence. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not an all or nothing thing, is it? Because, you know, you've mentioned a, a number of different aspects of that and any one of those can be something that um, a new EV user can attach onto. So you can say, right, you've got your car. How about looking at a time of day tariff? You can, you can go to, you know, Octopus Go or Agile or one, any of the other ones that specifically cater for people with electric cars. And if they don't want to do that, you can say, well, how about solar? You know, you can look at putting some panels on. You can look at uh, a sun amp or, you know, any of the different technologies that are there that can leverage that. Or you can, if, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford it, all that, you can do the whole thing. You can put the air source heat pump in. You can put the um the heat batteries in you can put the power wall you can put the solar panels you can get the time of day tariff and make the whole thing work together and it's not an all or nothing thing which i think is something that's very much in its favor 
Absolutely. It's something that's so close to my heart um, because I just think, Dan, you're absolutely right. The second that you get an electric vehicle and you plug it in for that first time at home, and you you know, if your bill, your bill comes in after a month or two and you're like, holy moly, like my electricity bill's gone up. And you're like, naturally, of course, it's going to because you plug in a huge load into it and all of a sudden you forgot that you used to pay for fuel it's like that sort of thing you have like a bit of a crossroads where you're like oh my god my bills have gone up but hang on a minute I'm not paying for fuel anymore never ever have we been able to look at how we power a car or fuel a car and actually not play the system but use so many things to our advantage to make it to drive that price cheaper and cheaper and cheaper you couldn't go to a fuel station and start bartering with the lady behind the counter saying I want like 5, 10p, 15p off that gallon or whatever. <laughs> now there's so many cool ways that you can actually start reducing your um, your energy bills and you can start, you, you actually do start asking questions. You're like, where is this coming from? And how have I not been thinking about this for so long? And how much am I paying for my electricity right now? And it just starts sparking all those natural questions. And you think, right, well, I used to, I heard about solar panels back in the day. I wonder if there's still any grants on them. And, oh, there's a heating incentive. You can get a heat pump grant now and it's just I'm seeing it like daily um on my social media feeds you know people I'm 31 people my age are now starting to ask questions about energy and saying oh George how much would it cost me to get a heat pump or you know how much did it cost you to get your solar panels I'm seriously considering it because my bills are like through the roof and these people don't have EVs or anything yet or haven't even thought about switching to a greener cheaper tariff or charging off peak and things like that so I think it's a real sexy topic at the moment and I think it's because coronavirus as well because we're all spending so much time at home we've obviously all had that time to go well yeah we're using a lot more energy than normal um how do I start getting this this down and and it's only a positive thing even if it comes from just wanting to save a few quid at least people are now starting to think about it. And I'd just love to see a world where every home that could have solar or heat pumps, or even if it was a mini wind turbine, if they had, you could get planning for it. How amazing would it be? I think there's never been a more important time to, to be as close to off grid as possible, but still have the reliance of the grid. I just think it's crazy exciting. But you can imagine I'm fully charged. I mean, this is our, this is what really gets us up every day is how do you, communicate to to consumers uh and a lot of people are totally unengaged with it this is a once in a generation opportunity to get people interested in this in this sort of thing i think um and from 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 my perspective you know i, I would love a se- the second someone gets an ev for for whoever sold the ev to say oh you know go and check out fully charged or one of our competitors you know to say you know find out more about the about these things you know um, because you can really, as you say, you can harness that enthusiasm. One of the things that I found interesting, we're, we're going through a process where we're writing, <clears throat> excuse me, we're writing some content um, about home energy. And that's been really, really interesting for me to to do that. And I've been going through a process of how do we approach this? How do we tell this story? So it'll be more like a series rather than a one-off, the sort of thing we did for Mandy Goes Electric with cars, we're going to do for, for homes. and. I know this area pretty well, and so I've been kind of kind of piecing this story together. And one of the difficult things I think is for early adopter tech is it's quite expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the stuff that my energy um, produces excellent value, by the way, not my energy, but everything else is very expensive. And you know, from from my perspective, that's somewhat problematic. You know, we put out an episode about car. And we say, look at this Porsche Taycan, isn't it wonderful? Or look at this Tesla, look at this Polestar, isn't it wonderful? And the problem is that leaves a vast majority of people kind of out in the cold saying, well, I can't can't participate in that. And for me, that's not not good enough. So what the home energy story is particularly good at doing is, is, is working it from the other end, which is actually saying, well, you know, there are things that you can do cost effectively. There are, there are cheap things that you can do cheap measures you can do there are insulation measures that you can do and then you can move up the scale and do more little things like having you know aerated um shower heads just so you get more more out of your hot water tank for example just little little techniques like that and then of course there are other things you can do which you can go up to you get a heat pump couldn't you a bit more expensive but you know perhaps three times more efficient than a, than a boiler so worth it in the in the long run and there are other technologies as well and i think it's 
it's about engaging people for sure. And when they get an EV, that's a great opportunity to do it. But it's also about inclusivity and making sure that, you know, everyone feels they can participate uh, in this kind of revolution. And that goes back to the point I was sort of making earlier in the in the uh, podcast was that I think in the instance where people are fuel poor and they can't afford maybe to participate, that's where central government needs to step in and say, actually, we'll help you yeah. insulate, we'll, we'll help you, you know, with your with your heating system, et cetera, et cetera. But, but generally speaking, I think this is a once in a generation opportunity and it's all about communication. Until this point, 2010 to 2020 felt like a war of ideas. It's hydrogen versus electricity. It's, you know, it's old world versus new world. It feels like that kind of war is being won a little bit. And I speak to more and more people that are kind of really interested in electric, electric vehicles. Um, they can't all be zealots like me. I appreciate that. But I think there's a definite opportunity to kind of uh, say to them, okay, well, you know, this is this is the first step in your in your journey. And I think a lot of people now, because of because of coronavirus, because of the general kind of uh, situation with um, climate emergency, are much more open-minded. You can mention it now, can't you, Jordan, at a dinner party, if we had them? You can mention it now without people looking at you like you've got five heads. Yeah. People are actually interested to talk to you about it. Yeah, for sure. I've found that a lot more in the last few years. I think one of the, oh, the there's two aspects to this which uh, jump out at me. And one is uh, there's an education aspect because, as we've said, once you get into it and you start to look, there's there's a huge amount of, of stuff there that you can look at, you can consider. And, you know, there needs to be some sort of centralised method of finding that uh, which maybe the government can deal with or, or whatever but the second part of that is something that I know fully charge have, have touched on several times which is the government needs to be implementing standards for things like new houses you know new houses need to have heat pumps they need to have solar whatever it is so that we're we're instilling in people that that's the standard as we go forward. And I think if you've got the standards in place and you've got the education, it becomes a lot easier for this to sort of gain critical mass and move forward. Completely agree. I mean, just um, sort of off topic, did any of you listen to um, Elon's and Joe Rogan's podcast that was just no. at the weekend? Because Elon mentioned about um, carbon tax, and it's not something that I've ever really thought of before, but I think it's such an obvious answer to help speed up this kind of technology and policy change. If an actual carbon tax was introduced, you'd, you'd quickly see a lot of habits changing within large corporations um, and even within government. It's something, it's well worth the listen and just how, how he explains that. Um, he says the markets work really well if everything's at the right price and markets respond really well. Cause I, I you know, we should be bringing down, um, the tax on these things we should be bringing down the price on these things and making it more accessible to everyone i would love nothing more than to see everybody be able to afford you know if they had a bit of roof space to to be able to afford panels and maybe a small battery or you know an eddy to pack to heat the hot water for them it should be something that everybody should have access to and these you know these types of businesses and these type of clean tech should be you know, celebrated and not paying the same amount of tax as something that's a lot more damaging to the atmosphere. And totally. um, I think it's a great idea. I'd vote for it. <laughs> yeah, there was a, you might have seen, the, you might have seen the campaign that started in the, um, the Express newspaper <laughs> this week. I can't believe I'm even talking about it, uh, which uh, I think Dale Vince and uh, others were kind of involved in, in, in talking about actually how we need to go green. And it was quite interesting. I think the sun, Followed suit a couple of days later with their own kind of uh, green campaign. Uh, I mean, if that isn't a sea change, I don't know what is. But in that, Jordan, it was saying basically that the system is set up now still to incentivize, you know, old energy, uh, mm -hmm. legacy, uh, fossil fuel stuff and not and, and not the new stuff. And I think it's absolutely, you know, it's a great, great opportunity. I guess that countries have not wanted to shoot their establishment industries in, in, in the foot. But um, I do wonder now in Britain in particular, if we don't, get onto the other foot quickly uh that we might not be left behind you know by norway and uh china and the other countries that are really really getting on with it i mean we want what would make us happier than having a battery factory or battery factories in the uk i mean uh, maybe just amazing but at the moment it looks so excited difficult. i absolutely love that we're getting one aren't we isn't somebody didn't i see something in the news that somebody's building a battery factory there is one I believe. Uh, yeah. 
there is one planned um but it's pretty early and the details relatively light so um i don't want to uh put my tinfoil hat on and say it's not going to happen but uh i would certainly <laughs> say um we want to get to the kind of the spades in the ground point of view um sometimes these things are speculative and they can soak up a lot of investment money so mm. there's interest for organizations to say oh yeah this is happening isn't it great and and for every tesla we've seen a, a nikola motors right you know uh we've seen companies that will just take on investment but with no real chance of going real so britain probably needs to have multiple battery factories in the works to make one or two happen i think um so yeah let's hope that happens here and there's some there's some really good things going on here but i think it's a lot about entrepreneurs in the uk um and you know sometimes you know we're not we're good at launching stuff i'm not sure we're brilliant at, at scaling things um in the uk and that's 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 something we need urgently to to, to rectify anything else on this topic i forgot what the topic was <laughs> EVs have hit a tipping point. Now let's harness that energy for adjacent sustainable technologies. I think that was the title that we gave it, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, we nailed it. I think we probably. (laughs) Jordan, I'll be the first to praise Jordan. She'll praise me. We'll all, we'll be both very happy. (laughs) Gary, whether you liked it or not, is it immaterial? No, I'm kidding. Uh, That's fine. That's no Okay, um, let's move on to my topic. Uh, could be a bit contentious, we'll see. Earlier in the year, I wrote a blog post entitled Charging an EV will cost as much as fueling an internal combustion engine car. It's on the blog if you want to read it, links in the show notes. In it, I posited that the price of charging an EV is low, which makes EVs an attractive proposition. But this is a situation which can't really last. For the new fossil fuel sale ban in 2030, the UK will need a ton more charges of all types. And John's already made reference to this. Um, And the charge point operators, they'll need to step up and provide a lot of these charges. That's going to be a substantial investment. And at the current rates being levied for charging, if you discount people like Ionity, the return on investment is going to be small and spread over a long time period. Ultimately, when everyone's happily using EVs and we've settled into the lifestyle, the charge point operators are going to start lifting prices. The secondary impact to the fossil fuel sale ban will be a drop in the amount of fuel duty that the government's earning. It would be a relatively simple job for the government to impose a small levy on each kilowatt hour of charge taken from a rapid or a high power charger. Over time, this will change at each budget in just the same way as the fuel duty does now. So, does anyone disagree this will happen? How aggressive do we think this is going to be? Is it something that, um, I mean, it's not going to be welcome, but is it something that's inevitable or do we see an alternative? Uh, I think it's inevitable. I would agree that when you're on the road, the price of, you know, fully charging your battery will cost the same as what it would for a tank of petrol eventually. But I don't see that being a bad thing um, necessarily because obviously I'd like it not to get to that point. But I just think the whole point is the fact that we need a a sustainable future. Oil is going to run out at some point. And if we didn't make the switch at some point, civilization would collapse. (laughs) And if we didn't stop spilling out filth into the atmosphere, we would drastically heat up the planet. So we needed to do it. And however they claw their money back, you know, for the taxes that they need, not that I agree with it, <laughs> agree with that, mm. but if it needs to happen, it needs to happen. And I think, and that is where, you know, companies like mine with the, the, you know, the zappy and charging at home and charging at work can be done a hell of a lot cheaper. And, you know, there's all these smart tariffs that are about, and I don't see them going anywhere. And the increase in renewable energy, um, it's going to be very difficult to charge the maximum price all the time i still think it'll be cheaper but i think when you're on the road it will it will eventually be the same that's just my theory dan i think there is some inevitability about it uh, i think it'll be quite dynamic i think everything you've described in the opening is probably right but i think what we've seen in the last 10 years is some some surprises i think and I think electricity is, you know, inherently 
has some flexibility to it. So I think we've seen the rise of the megawatt. I think there is a value in driving around in a battery on wheels. I think there are going to be some some interesting business models that come through. And I was heartened when the guys at uh, Gridserve launched their first electric forecourt uh, in Braintree, um, and their rate uh, charging was extremely competitive. I'm sure that over time they will look to supplement that uh, by increasing that rate or um, adding other other services. But I'd like to think that we're now in a situation where, you know, there are there are opportunities, and I certainly think there's a just in Britain alone there's a host of these companies that you could name, like Octopus, uh, like Gridserve, like My Energy, who who are doing really kind of unique things and we'll 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 see a different thing ways of, of doing things so i i think it probably is a given that we're looking at a, a change i think there is a ring of inevitability um about it but also i'd like to think that a, a lot of homes will be um installing solar over the next 10 to 20 years and a lot of a lot of homes will be you know taking their energy taking the power i should say from from uh, offshore wind turbines for heat pumps and things like that so i don't think it's 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 set in stone but clearly money has to come from somewhere i think what will happen eventually when the market gets real um before we get sort of flooded with uh electric vehicles from from asia i think the car companies will have to get real now to bring the price of electric vehicles down or at least not accelerate their their growth and therefore on one hand you might be paying um more for your electricity to charge the car but actually the starting price will be will be less because at the moment that is you know way out of whack uh you know you could see electric cars that are ten thousand pounds more than the exact same car that just happens to have uh, a petrol engine so i think that might change as well so i think electric motoring has the ability to to be better and i think in a weird way you know paying per per mile uh, means if you use a car occasionally it should be a bit cheaper and if you use it a lot then 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 so be it but it, it also gets you to think doesn't it about taking journeys I, I mean, I, I'm from an era. I'm not, you know, desperately old. Um, I don't think, but I would just, oh, I would just fancy a drive. You know, that was that was, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, let's just go for a drive. You know, for no purpose or whatever. Um, and sometimes it's actually worth thinking about that. You know, popping out to the shops all the time. I mean, the, I'm at home a lot at the moment. Maybe I've got lockdown fever, but you know, going out to Sainsbury seems like a rare treat <laughs> these days. But you know, do we need to make as many journeys as we do? I mean, I think that, frankly, the question about commuting and even going to driving long way to for meetings, the rest of it, has is that going to rebound to the same level it was before before the pandemic? I'm not so sure. Yeah, so, I think, so I think, in a way, that pay that that pay per mile thing could be a good thing. Yes, because um, of course that's that's sort of the other side to the discussion that we were having there. You know, we if we if the government increases fuel duty, that actually becomes a punitive tax. Sorry, if the government increases or puts a charge on high power charging or rapid charging, that becomes a punitive tax on people who cannot charge at home because they, they don't have off-street parking. Whereas if you move across to uh, road usage charging, so you pay per mile, then that evens the playing field out. And it's something which, you know, we don't like tax, but that becomes a little bit fairer than just, you know, lumping two, three, four, five pence a kilowatt hour on rapid charging. Oh my God, guys, you've only gone and nailed it again. I mean, we've just, we've got all the answers. <laughs> Sorted it all out. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that is probably a good point to close this bit of the uh, podcast and move on to the cool things section. So a cool EV or renewable thing that you'd like to inform the listeners about. Once again, ladies well, first, I reckon I know what, uh, <laughs> yeah, what Jordan's going to uh, talk about. So oh, over to you, Jordan. This little thing called a zappy, which you oh. just, I'm just going to do a shameless plug. <laughs> because why not? Well... So the Zappi charger, what can I say about it? Answers all these questions that we've just been talking about. If you're in it, the lucky position to have a driveway or a workplace that will allow you to put a charger in, it will load balance the property that it's in so as to not get your main fuse hot. 
my God, I sounded like a three-year-old then, as to not heat up your <laughs> main views. Uh, I'm getting overexcited. Um, and it will also, you know, communicate with Octopus Agile tariffs. So when the tariff is nice and cheap and um, there's plenty of wind generation on the grid, you can charge your car. And if you've got solar panels or a wind turbine, it will charge directly off that. It is the most eco way to charge. Um, and it also does so much more than that. You know, if you put more, loads of them in a row, it'll load shed amongst all of them. It'll group limit. Um, it's just a really nifty bit of kit for charging your electric vehicle. It takes into, considera- in, into consideration absolutely everything. So boom, yeah, it's the Zappi. And I'm proud. Quite rightly. Let me um, let me play devil's advocate on that. There are a lot of other charges that are out there on the market, which <laughs> may be, shall we say, um, a bit more conservatively priced than the uh, than the Zappi. How how would you address that issue if somebody brought it up to you? Um, because they don't have half the features, and it's probably not made in the UK. Um, and I also say buy cheap, buy twice. So always look at the quality. Always, we've got a lot of tech in there, which means that you don't have to fit earth rods and it is one of the safest chargers on the market to fit. And it will work in all scenarios, you know, depending if you've got a home battery, like I said, if you've got solar panels, work with the tariffs, all that stuff requires extra hardware, which obviously means there's a bit of an extra cost. So it just depends on what kind of quality you want. Excellent answer. Thank you. Dan? I am pretty much the luckiest person alive and i get to look at all the different things that are going on around the world from a tech point of view so i could answer this question any number of ways for example one of the things we're really excited moment about is going to a wind turbine recycling uh, business uh, in europe when we're allowed to you know really really think that's kind of uh, interesting because early last year there was a very very naughty uh mock shockumentary about um called planet of the humans which kind of said that oh well wind turbines aren't any good because they're just you know they break down and they're you know how do you recycle them and all the rest of it so i could answer a number of different ways but i think what i would choose is probably the conversion of electric vehicles now we're really lucky to occasionally get the opportunity to see you know a converted electric vehicle we um, got the opportunity to look at a ferrari 308 that had been lovingly uh, converted um Robert's just had his uh, Nissan Leaf um, new battery put in uh, for his Mark I uh, Leaf, which is super exciting. Some great companies that we work with, like Electric Classic Cars and New Electric, who are doing incredible, incredible things. And there's a really interesting company uh, in France as well called uh, Transition One, uh, who we're hoping to to film with um, soon. And they will convert your own um ice vehicle into into uh, electric and there's a whole bunch of them that they they do so i think there's just an extraordinary opportunity here i think it's actually much much bigger uh, market or market segments than than people realize and you know our plug if we have one really is we've got an episode coming out in the next week or two which is um uh, Elliot uh, Richards, who's our kind of um, Shanghai uh, correspondent as uh, as we kind of term him um goes to visit a company called uh, Shanghai Customs, and they are converting the Honda Cub motorbike. I understand it. There's a hundred million of these in the world, and they do a fantastic job of converting it to to electric. And all I would say, really, is just think of the possibilities of all the vehicles that are out there that 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 could be converted. So we don't necessarily have to send the uh, the body to the to the to the junkers yard. There are there are other things that we could do as well. I I think that market is it really is one one to watch. I think it's going to be much more significant than people realise. What I particularly liked about the three hundred eight conversion, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. The, once it had been converted, the actual performance statistics on the vehicle was superior to the original Ferrari that it was based on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the, the spec sheet of the original Ferrari three hundred eight versus the battery version left me a bit embarrassed for the the original vehicle really it was absolutely it wiped the floor with it i think the weight was i think it was like very very slightly maybe like a kilogram or something lighter as well and it was better balanced through all four corners of the car so it drove really really well so it's really interesting i mean you know people cite the noise but you know um 
I stopped making from noises from about seven or eight. So I think, it, I think it really is, you know, for me, that's, that's a, that's a thing that I, I think is people drive past you and they really make their engine holler or they've got the music on really loud. I just think it kind of is a bit, look at me, which is kind of, I don't think we need that. I think quieter vehicles are better and, and batteries kind of outperform um, those kind of cars. And I think that's a great opportunity. I know some people think it's sacrilege and clearly, the, the, the ban that talks about the start of this whole session doesn't mean the end of all combustion cars. They go away forever. We'll keep those classics. We'll look after them. I'm sure we will. I'm sure there'll be fantastic things like there's a brilliant classics event, the Silverstone classic. I'm sure that will carry on. And it's not it's not that we're going to, you know, all of those cars are going to go forever. But I think that the opportunities that battery electric cars afford is fantastic. You'll know, Gary, about Tesloop and people like that who, I've been running Teslas for 300, 400,000, 500,000 miles oh, on the same battery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, how amazing, right? It, it's not great, probably, if you're trying to sell cars every, you know, to the same person every five years. But, you know, for, for the planet and for, for, for people to be able to kind of get in the cars that they love and maybe convert them, that's great. Or to keep their classic for much longer while they have an electric as their day-to-day drive, which is the case of Peter, who has the... Um, the Ferrari. I mean, I think all these things are. We should really look forward to these possibilities, and not not be scared of them. That's an excellent, cool thing. I like that. Um, my cool thing is something which it sounds a little bit like science fiction, uh, but it takes place in uh, Coventry. The world's first airport for electric flying cars has been announced. It's a collaboration between a company called Urban Airport and uh, manufacturer Hyundai. They're using the recently unveiled Hyundai SA1 flying taxi, and it's aimed at pioneering the urban air mobility revolution, estimated to be worth almost a trillion pounds over the next 20 years. The sites can be installed in a matter of days. They're reasonably mobile, they emit net zero carbon emissions, and they're operated completely off-grid. Two things that jumped out at me about this airport, uh, the because it's effectively drones, one of the ways they've managed to reduce the noise of the drones in the local area is that they've actually got an elevated landing area. It's about two stories off the ground. And tests have shown that this reduces the ambient noise. And once the plane lands, the whole thing drops down on a lift or, or into a, a specific building underneath where it can be charged and relocated, uh, reloaded, which is something I'm pretty sure I've seen in some science fiction movie somewhere. <laughs> and the other thing about this is because it's completely off-grid, the actual source for the energy, I believe, is hydrogen. Now, it's not actually a hydrogen-powered um, vehicle, but I think they're using hydrogen as a storage mechanism so that they then convert that into electricity. And that's one of the ways that they can manage to deal with this without having any grid connection and to be able to take these particular airports and move them to a completely different location within a couple of days. I quite like that when I saw it. That's very cool. It's, it's, honestly, it's hard. I mean, Jordan will agree. I mean, you spend all your time on the websites looking around at what's going on in the world. Every day, there's something that just really excites me every single day without fail yeah uh, it's a, it's a great time app. Uh, sorry i'm jumping away because i'm getting excited there was an app called literati um that sounded really cool and it was something that every time you um picked up litter you had to tweet about it not tweet about it like put it into your app and they were trying to collect data to then feed into governments and local areas and schools where more litter in the world was being distributed and you know pockets of the globe where it was really building up and how that they can disperse it and which kind of litter can be um recycled and because they think that data is the answer so they're just basically trying to capture as much data on litter as as possible and i thought that was a real cool innovative app idea i think it's based out of san francisco or somewhere i heard it on clubhouse I was like, there's so much, there's so much going on in in the sustainable world. Um, I just think it's just a great. It used to be something that, like Dan said, was really frowned upon, but now it's absolutely everyone's just trying to get into it and coming up with amazing ideas, and it excites me. <laughs> Getting excited about litter, a litter app. I like it. I like it. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the link. You can get excited about it as well. Fantastic. Going to download it immediately. <laughs>
Right, that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. Many, many thanks to my guests, Jordan Brompton and Dan Caesar. It's a bit like herding cats putting together a show like like this, so I'm glad we got some great guests willing to deal with whatever scheduling changes got thrown at the man, some of the technical gremlins we encountered. So thank you very much to the two of you for that. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'll also include Twitter links for Jordan and Dan in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So, You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and is a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he does a great deal of work for the local community. You know, clearing the streets, tidying up. Doesn't like to talk about it. Keeps his cards close to his chest. He did let something slip the other day, though. Getting excited about litter. A litter app. Thanks for listening. Bye.